Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. I created this podcast because I was curious to learn about the startup ecosystems in developing countries. The Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast is where you will hear me have unique conversations with early stage startup founders, ecosystem builders, innovators, and investors from across emerging markets. It is an opportunity for all of us operating in these countries to learn, share, and exchange experiences beyond our borders. Although complex and varied, there are more similarities than differences in the narratives. If you're new, welcome. Rare ones come here to gain fresh perspective and insights into what is happening on the ground from the people who are creating shifts and driving the action. It is where they can connect through stories which are distinctive, honest, and relatable. Thanks for listening in, and I hope at the end, you feel compelled to join our growing global community of rare ones. Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. And this is Series 9, Education and Adoption, Blockchain in Africa. We are now on Episode 185, which is titled Investing in Blockchain, Educating with Business Cases. And our guest for today is Kenyan economist Rosalind Wanjiro. So just a little bit about Rosalind. She describes herself as a digital economy advocate, economist, professional speaker, blockchain consultant and educator, and a youth mentor. She is dedicated to serving and having an impact. Rosalind currently serves as the Director of Growth and User Acquisitions at Pesabase. So in today's conversation, you're going to learn a little bit about the investment side of blockchain. And Rosalind offers a unique perspective, which I am sure you will appreciate. So as always, I will see you at the end. Bye for now. Greetings, Rosalind, and welcome to the Rivers podcast. Thank you so much. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, a part of this series discussing uh, blockchain education in Africa. So before we start diving into your topic, investing in blockchain, educating with business cases, Rosalind, please tell us a little bit more about you. Who is Rosalind? All right. Um, Rosalind is a young economist in Kenya, and she's super passionate and excited about tech, um, future of work, blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and um, how these things are literally shaping the world that we're getting into, right? So I got interested in these um, in these technologies simply because I'm a curious mind, and I, well, I tend to read a lot, <laughs> be it articles or just um, uh, general stuff. But like, I'm really curious about where where things are going, and this this was prompted um, especially because in the last years toward my graduation, then I noticed major shifts in the banking sector, for instance, that um, we would transact more on our phones than our banks. And this was because of the advent of M-Pesa. So it was not really that well known, but basically M-Pesa is, um, if you've not yet heard about it, 
basically a simple way for uh, people to send money through each other's phone numbers as the wallets. So for me, seeing that shift from literally brick and mortar to mobile models of transaction, that was really huge for me because I saw people retrenched, um, job roles becoming redundant, and I felt, well, I need to do something. I mean, if I'm in economics and this is what's happening now, 10 years from now, five years from now, how different are things going to be? So in asking these questions, and I felt I needed to be prepared for the future of value, for the future of um, what economics would look like. And here we are today. Wow. So, Rosin, you were born and raised in Kenya? Yes. Okay. And which part of Kenya are you from? Actually, Nairobi. So I've just born, been born, uh, studied, and pretty much lived in Nairobi. Okay. But uh, traveled, yeah, traveled a couple of times away from Nairobi. So, uh, yeah, but home, east or west home is best. Okay, and all of your education has been in economics. So you said you're a trained economist and everything. Yep. So that's that. That was my main field of study: uh, Bachelor of Science in Economics. Fantastic. Well, it's good to have an economist on the show to discuss this topic. So we're gonna dive into educating uh, with business cases. Um, can you tell us very quickly what your experience is with, with various businesses before we get in, whether that's startups, uh, uh, SMEs, corporations, and, and the like? All right. So um, let me get, probably give it from a Kenyan perspective. So um, let's say a few years back when I was um, studying economics, then um, most of us would aspire to join, for instance, the big four audit firms, the Deloitte, KPMG, and uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and we aspire to be in the think tanks, like um, either countrywide or just, you know, major research centers. But um, in my first year after campus, then I realized, well, first of all, um, all of us are aspiring to that, but who is aspiring to reach out or work with or build the small and medium enterprises? And I thought um, that for me was a bit of a niche because then I, I realized that not too many friends were were even investing in their own in their own companies, but then some of them were starting their own um, startups, like literally after even while we were in campus, and I could see the challenges from setting up, getting premises, um, getting customers, trying to scale, getting funding, and all these things, right? So I would say, for instance, the um, SME and startup scene in Kenya is relatively young, not more than like thirty years per se in in terms of existence, but it's really robust right now because um, especially young people realize that um, you can't you can't sit past graduation and wait to be employed by some reputable company. That model just doesn't work anymore. You have to step out. Even if you're going to start your own business, you're going to start your own um, you know, initiative one way or another, then you got to push it as far as you can because then it's easier to link up to the existing business world through um, your own startup, your own initiative, rather than looking for what's already established, right? So I would say it's a very exciting space for especially Kenya right now. We've recently been highlighted as, um, you know, one of the top destinations for uh, fintech funding and innovation uh, as per last year's and the previous year's um, investment indices, because um, when you look at especially venture capital funding, a lot of it uh, has been going to countries like Nigeria, South Africa, Kenya, Egypt, and Botswana to an extent. So that's the that's the space that we're in right now. So Rosalind, how did you get into blockchain? 
Right. So as I said, I'm a curious mind. So a friend of mine actually pointed out a documentary on uh, Bitcoin in 2016. And I found the documentary pretty interesting because, um, whoa, it's decentralized. Uh, like this, this is a technology that uh, is, it has no central authority and it's uh, pretty much, it seemed to be fully anonymous. But then again, you realize traceability is, is a factor over time. But um, I just felt that this was something so intriguing and interesting, like programmable money. I had not really um, thought about any anything like that before. So, um, two thousand, the same year, I, I attended a meetup um, where they were just talking about like Bitcoin, its future, its value at the time was six hundred dollars, and I thought, okay. Um, this thing seems to be used by um, like terrorists or um, you know the in 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 the sale of drugs and illegal things, but on the other hand, then it has a certain value that is expected to rise based on certain factors, and it could be worth more than gold. And I was like, no, this math is not adding up. So I felt I still needed a bit more research. Now come in 2017, and the crypto boom came in, and I felt this isn't real. Like, what is the underlying value? And I kept asking that. I think I found myself wearing more of a critic's shoes than uh, <laughs> than a believer. So I, well, I critiqued as much as I could, but um, toward the end of the year and into the start of 2018, when now prices kept going down, I, I asked, what's the future of this? I mean, where is this all going? And that's where I started learning about Ethereum as uh, you know a decentralized platform, like you could build apps on that. And I thought, now this is something, now this makes sense. And I started joining the dots in um, a few crypto meetups later, few uh, partnerships later, um, you know, I got my first work roles and noticed the gaps that I, I mean, I could see in the space and well, my passion just kind of inclined fully toward the space. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. So tell yeah. What do you do from day to day? Like what, what activities are you involved in right now? All right. So at PesaBase, then um, we're, we are, we've already built the application. So it's um, PesaBase as a money remittance app is already available on Play Store and on App Store. So anyone can actually test, download it. I'd love to hear what um, even you think about that. But um, on a day-to-day -day basis, then uh, building the, the connections that we need to actually just get the app uh, growing. So the app's usage growing. So um, I'd say as of right now, just building the community that um, that will use PesaBase as a solution to um, send money from Australia to East Africa as our primary market, not mm. to worry other countries can um, still uh, test the application. But um, for those who um, you know are looking to send money to East Africa in a way that's um, extremely secure we're built on the cello blockchain um that's fast and that's easy then really pesa base is right for you right and that's the cello blockchain right right yes yes okay yes Great. yes and okay let's talk now a little bit about the investment side of things okay which is the the focus of our conversation when we think of blockchain and blockchain investment, the first thing that comes to mind is crypto, right? So are cryptocurrencies the only investment option when it comes to blockchain? Um, nope. Okay. <laughs> That's a simple one. That's yeah, because simple. Oh, okay. um, tell us the, more. The, yes, there are other tools that um, people can consider um, 
having their their resources put into and um we can break them if i may define like within cryptocurrencies you have different tools so there are what you call like the token swaps um early 2017-18 there were a lot of um icos i.e initial coin offerings one may argue that they kind of died along the way then we went to initial exchange offerings then came to security token offerings so now we're at um, non-fungible tokens whereby like especially within artistic pieces then they're being auctioned for millions of dollars you know so yeah. um I, I think part of the craze is someone feeling like hey i'm an artist like can i just put up um, my art piece and like auction it for any amount that i want and um well those all those questions are really um uh trying to either be answered or not being answered at this point in time so well that's that's where we are at then there's uh, decentralized finance there are tools where you can uh stake resources so it's kind of like you're you're um locking in your tokens for a particular period of time and looking to earn interest so interest earning platforms then are pretty um, safe to look at for those who do not want the volatility and for those who feel like they don't want to be trading charts 24 seven right right right. yeah because actually within cryptocurrencies it's your strategy is actually what matters in the sense that um if you dismiss them all as speculative volatile uh you know gambling gambling spots then you can't really see the value but as you see I've, i've broken down to say that we went from initial coin offerings initial exchange offerings um security token uh and and now the decentralized finance projects um those that can allow you to earn interest on certain assets um we will have more tokenized projects that for instance will allow you to own uh certain like buildings or uh properties fractionally instead of you buying like um full value of something let's say um half a million dollars or something like that and really with time they they keep evolving to respond to what the market demands right so that's um pretty important so that we just don't dismiss cryptocurrencies as um absolutely hullabaloo or too much hype but beyond that now you're talking about the other use cases to do with blockchain right and when you're talking about investing then um you need to um or yeah you just need to kind of define what is this person looking to gain from this particular investment right and with investment you're playing the long game so the question is what are you gonna put in now that will allow you to benefit four five years down the line because if you want your return uh, in a month or less then are you not speculating so strategy and when we're talking about long term then we talk about the other use cases of blockchain so blockchain for agriculture blockchain for education um blockchain for real estate and uh property ownership blockchain for intellectual property and these are some of the case use cases that will be um, prevalent in like the next five to ten years right because right. yeah because actually some of them do depend to an extent on um on like government support or regulation support in terms of like internet infrastructure digitization strategies because um to be quite frank then some uh some use cases cannot fully be realized within specific countries because um they are not they they do not have any particular uh uniform standard on like digitization and data protection so how are you telling them to adopt blockchain apps if they don't have like the basics of some of their data digitized and protected right so these are the things that um 
be also looking at addressing within the next five to 10 years. Right. And I think one key takeaway from what you just said is it begins with your the investor's strategy. Like what exactly is it are you looking to achieve? And then from there, just like any other investment tool, like you, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What's where are you in terms of the risk spectrum? But I think even within risk, we have to say that investing in anything blockchain is is always going to be riskier than like real estate. <laughs> All right. Actually, well, that's actually that's a fact because um, mm. I have to I have to literally just bring an appreciation of the fact that um, we can say or kind of argue or posit that um, COVID has been that. You know, this pandemic has been that awakening call for so many people in terms of what, um, what we considered as traditional investments or safe investments then could be hit by something unforeseen, right? And yeah. um, if, even before that, then there's the natural business environment, which is um, ordinarily tough. And um, you have to be patient with it because business comes back to the quality and, and um, scale of relationships that you're building. So that cannot be eliminated. And um, just because let's say you're, you know, you're using blockchain to, um, to improve certain aspects or scale certain aspects doesn't mean that it will be a guaranteed winner because when you come back to the people, then you have to build trust, you have to be reliable and, you know, you're dealing with people. So you gotta be patient with them. You have to educate them about your products and, um, really business ethics that's inescapable so blockchain will not cure you know existing business problems that have to do with uh, the people side but um, it will make certain things easier over time as we appreciate that definitely and thanks for for mentioning that as well now let's talk yeah. a little bit about the different types of investors okay so angels vcs corporations for example how can they use the tech as an as an enabler to to improve their their portfolios i don't know if you want to just select one and say hey if you're like uh, a sort of like a corporation for example how can you use this um you know these investments in in these blockchain technologies to Im to improve whatever it is that you're looking to do whatever is in line with your strategy i don't know if you want to give us like a scenario or example or business case to yes to, yeah to answer the question yeah so yeah so i think i can point out the um decentralized autonomous organization okay. which um as a use case is uh well good to study good to know for the future because this type of organization just basically um gets things running without um necessarily depending on uh, a lot of human input at different levels. And this um, would ideally speak to organizations that um, are consistently or um, unanimously held back by bureaucratic processes, right? So this, again, I have to caution, is not a silver bullet. It actually will take quite a bit of um, back and forth for people to agree, but um, it's good for people to know that such a thing does exist, that they can actually use such a tool to get certain functions automated and um, implemented through a blockchain-based system and have them running so that they are not um, lost in the paper trail, so to speak. You know, So that's one huge win that, um, as a right now, I would say is extremely underrated, but um, definitely worth looking into and investing in a future where you're like, um, if this organization is to 
evolve if it's to uh, thrive in a future where you know uh, people are looking to adjust uh, new 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 ways of business are are being looked into and you know the future of value still has to be protected across different communities societies um, languages and governments then um, do we need the kind of bureaucracy that's still existing holding us back and yet we will need to recover time so this option does exist right now it might not be the most perfect technology out there but i would say you'd rather try it and find that it doesn't work for you than completely ignore it and realize a few years down the line that it could have saved you so much time saying like um decentralized autonomous organizations right the DAOs. yeah and um this just basically means that you're um you're automating certain functions within your organization so that they don't have to be lost in the tape lost in the paper trail and um you know because um in the you know i'm looking at a post-pandemic world where we're looking to recover economically politically socially and um in all these respects right so it's going to be important to have new processes that really deliver value for us right right yeah right. so yeah i'd say that's one extremely underrated area that uh, um is definitely worth recommending okay okay so the DAO. Yeah. so people yeah, yeah. who are listening in go and have, have research DAOs, decentralized yeah. autonomous organizations. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, because you'd rather research and test and find that it doesn't work for you than leave it and realize much later it could have worked for you. Right. And that takes us very, very, very nicely into the next question because it's decentralized. What is the difference between traditional finance and DeFi? This or the acronym, the, the shorthand, version of decentralized finance? All right, so right off the bat, um, they, there's a reduced reliance on uh, central authorities with decentralized finance. Um, a lot of these applications are going to follow the model or the uh, semblance of traditional financial products like um, insurance, lending, credits, um, futures, and, and capital investments, right? But the difference will be that um, instead of like relying on one market, let's say um, New York Stock Exchange or Nairobi Stock Exchange, then you have a basket of all these um, systems working in together, right? So with the, with the removal, so to speak, of a central authority, then um, you do have a platform that enables you to have uh, access to a wider range of tools and instruments then that are not uh, geo-specific. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's one of just that's that's just one of the biggest differences. And of course, well, we can argue that the returns within um, decentralized finance tools are arguably higher right now because there's a lot more interest speculation, and um, a lot of these apps tend not to be regulated by um, financial authorities, so they don't they don't necessarily follow the same rules and protections. So arguably, there might be higher returns until. Um, you know, more uh, more robust governance protocols are implemented across the board. Right. And you said, and that's, that's something important to touch on, governance yeah. protocols. Can you expand yeah. on that, governance protocols? Right. So you realize like within um, different blockchain um, uh, platforms or applications that um, there's what you call the smart contracts, right? Mm -hmm. And this this smart contract is just basically well um, what we would call 
a contract that has been <laughs> uh, coded to execute by itself upon meeting certain conditions, right? Mm -hmm. um, with, without getting like into the deep technicalities of that. So you realize like um, you're going from um, arbitrary governance whereby you and I, let's say if we were to form a contract and uh, follow its rules, you and I have to sign off on it and depend on probably um, the power of the law or a third party to hold us accountable so that if there's a dispute between yourself and uh, me, then we can go to this third party and lay our grievances out so that um, you know that's resolved. Now within a smart contract is that um, you and I transact as peer to peer. The responsibility is shared between uh, yourself and, and me. And if there's a dispute, then there, all these mechanisms and if scenarios are, are incorporated into that contract such that um, we do not or may not necessarily need a third party. Now, um, when we consider that aspect of governance, then the thing is that are we, one of the questions that has been uh, pretty prevalent is that, is therefore the code within the smart contract, the weight of the law or is, is the code the law or do we still need um, the existing law like within your country and mine to be the final authority in case there's a dispute within the code? You see, so mm -hmm. that's those are the aspects of governance that are, let's say, currently in in either debate or they, you will find that there are different um, papers that are being written to um, try and just bring clarity to that. Because if there's a dispute within the code and you and I are affected negatively, then how do we retrace those mechanisms? Do we blame the smart contract? Do we blame the developer, or do we blame the creator of the protocol, or do we just go to court and sort our issues out? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And that is a big debate because everything is, is locked in with a code and there's a human being behind the code. And you're absolutely Thanks. spot on with everything that you said, because if we were dealing with it within the traditional realm, there would be a lot of insurance and it would be very clear who has a fiduciary duty to who and, you know, who is who, like you said, who do we go after? That would be very clear. But because we're dealing with tech, it's it's a little bit different. But that's why there's a whole branch of like legal legal a uh, legal era being created now just to tackle and manage these types of things, right? So or these have yeah yeah. Right. So yeah, if actually, if you're listening in, there's space for you in blockchain too. Yeah, yeah, and especially for um, those considering a career in um, you know either legal arbitration to do with. Um, the settlement of, of uh, these digital contracts, you don't have to learn uh, the technicalities of blockchain itself, just um, basic, I would say basics on digitization. What does digitization mean for you? Um, like quite even last year, then um, you found that quite a number of judges were, would, would call for the hearing via Zoom. And uh, for if you did not present yourself via Zoom, then it could be said that it was the equivalent of you not showing up in a court of law, right? So could you be charged for contempt? And you know, was, was it because you didn't have internet issues and all these considerations had to be made? So um, start with just the basics of uh, law in a digital context or um, digital law, tech law. And as you build up from there, then you'll appreciate where um, the future of this is going. Yeah, it's just essentially applying the law to tech within a tech realm. And that, that brings up a whole of other set of issues. And I think ethical issues are going to be at the forefront with everything blockchain. I think ethics is going to be big because ethics 
is completely um it's altered when you take it from the human realm and put it within a tech realm it becomes something completely different and you're right uh, you're right yeah who do you hold accountable when you know when like like you said who do you blame so i think ethics and blockchain is 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 also quite big but um yeah we're going back to to where we were before so thank you for outlining the differences there for us what about the different ways that investments can occur for example through say crowdfunding if you can expand on that right so um businesses will need funding no doubt um yes. and it comes back to building trust and um as as much as i'm referring a lot to this um uh post pandemic or still within because i mean it's an active threat unfortunately but well we need to be resilient you know and as much and do as much as we can so um yes i would say that um looking at crowd crowdfunding is is um absolutely awesome but um over and above that i like to see the you know the on reels because sometimes it's so easy to paint i would say a picture with a broad brush and not look at the fine finer details right now the one of the finest details i would say within business is um trust because if, for instance, you did not believe in me, you would not have um, reached out uh, and initiated a conversation for us to ultimately have the podcast going, right? Yes, right. There right. had to be an element of trust, and trust is not handed over to you. So um, the question is then, are we within our networks building enough trust and selling enough of our vision or the, what we want to create, what we want to do, what we are doing already and have done, and creating enough synergies then for those synergies to be the basis of capital flowing because it's um one of the one of the um i would say contentious gaps is let's say an entrepreneur expecting funding just because well you've you you know you've broken your your back you've sweat to build this thing off the ground but um this person seem doesn't seem to believe in you and you don't understand why so um, is it that you have to um, be in the space more? Do you, do you have to spend more time in terms of, um, you know, within within similar spaces such that they understand, well, this is your character because it's not enough to have, let's say, a great product or a great, um, a great company in terms of its DNA. The person who is running it, the founders, the team are extremely important in the sense that if you do not believe in the character of these people to carry forward the vision, then you could put in a secure a huge amount of funding, but their character then uh, by the decisions that they make, um, make it a total waste. And unfortunately, we've seen that through um, entrepreneurs well, you've um, from either, um, well, older ones to younger ones, or uh, just those who have less and more capital to investing in young ones who are just starting out and they completely blow up their resources if it's um, let's say going going all for lambos luxury and what and the capital just you know it, it it evaporates and someone just comes and tell you oops um you know oops but oops is not a response if you're building trust then i need to see that your decisions being constantly made consistently made over time are toward a certain future that you're creating and that calls for commitment all across the board so such that um if someone approaches you, um, let's say after this podcast and ask, um, who can you recommend? You need to be able to um, recommend at least one or two names without fear, right? Yeah, yeah. So for, for me, I, I think I've been um, thinking about this and conceptualizing, conceptualizing this more from um, an aspect of building the kind of trust that will then be the 
um, the conduit for the capital to flow. It's not a direct assumption, it's not a formula, absolutely, but I would say it's way better than just expecting that your capital will come back to you unless someone is working magic behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I will say you've mentioned trust a lot since we've started speaking. Trust is big in the blockchain space, right? Trust. I mean, it's um, we we well, blockchain has been um, arguably trustless and protecting trust. So, in a world where you know we are looking to recover, then um, that reliability is a is a is a fallback in itself, so that you don't have certain worries about going, you know, achieving the things that you need to achieve. Right. But I, I will say, and correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you're saying the trust part is not to be sort of replaced by the technology, but that's where the humans have to come in and still build trust, right? Precisely, precisely, because um, then we, um, as long as we're looking to create value, none of us is an island and um, we're going to interact with each other. We're going to share our thoughts. We're going to share time. And especially that's sensitive because even before you put capital on board and you're putting your time into something, then there's an implication to that, that you're not doing something else. You have a hope that this um, initiative or work that you're putting your time into is going to bear fruit and, and um, you know, have some form of return somewhere along the line. So if, um, well, on the human side, we can't trust you, then how how are we going to agree about using blockchain? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because sure. the, the, the tech is going to do its work. Are we going to do work on this other side? Because if we're not transacting, then what's the blockchain <laughs> facilitating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that one of the things that I, I try to remind myself of when I'm talking about blockchain or talking to people who are interested in blockchain is that it's just the technology. The technology is only a part of it. It's not the whole picture. Like humans still have a role to play. I mean, even mm. generally, just not with blockchain, but just with technology generally, I think a lot of people think that technology is just, it is going to change the world and it is changing the world and that's fine. But humans still have a role to play. Like I mentioned ethics earlier. I think that's where humans have a big role to play. Um, mm. You know, there's still, a, there's still a big role for human beings to play, but we're just fortunate that we have the technology to rely on to do the things that perhaps we can't do so well and maybe we don't even want to do you know but yeah there's that a, too we still have a role to play and we can't just hand it over and say oh there's a technology it's gonna fix everything it won't no <laughs> it won't right it won't it won't yeah. Yeah. i want to yeah. go back to what i mentioned before which is the conversation around risk how risky is investing in these in, in technology, blockchain technology? Um, honestly, quite risky. Um, in fact, very risky <laughs> because mm. for a lot of countries, then um, uh, if your government is, for instance, cautionary about um, blockchain or, well, hasn't even provided the basic underrails of internet access or, um, well, even, you know, just basic awareness or protections around data, then uh, you're literally setting up, you're going to find yourself in a space where you're setting a lot of the groundwork, right? Yeah. So in countries where at least you find there's um, uh, a quality and affordable inter internet access to the to the public, and um, there's some form of data protection law in, 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 um, in existence in place, and then you have the third umbrella of, of actually people being um, somewhat open to consuming products through online means or platforms, mobile platforms, then 
um, those are some of the owners that if you do not have, then you have to do a lot of the groundwork or maybe consider another market. Right, right. And, you know, in terms of investing, I, I want to um, get your perspective on something, you know, like when you, when I listen to individuals in the U.S. talk about investing in blockchain, it's always from a perspective of hedging, hedging, hedging against interest rates, inflation, or whatever. Because as right now, the, the U.S. Um, Reserve Bank is just like printing money like crazy, right? Um, and then that's like that, it's sort of like this asset class, like especially if you look at just like Bitcoin, for example. But then when you when you start talking about countries like Venezuela, other countries in Latin America or the Caribbean, like developing countries, uh, what's going on in Zimbabwe, Lebanon, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Then it becomes a matter of, you know, this is everyday life and this is because, you know, our currency is completely devalued and so on and so forth. So the conversation around investing in, crypt, in, in blockchain technology, for example, crypto, differs depending on where you are in the world. And then there's some countries where people aren't even having the conversation because they just don't, it's, it, there's, there's no need for them to, to get involved in, in this. So I wanna know what's your perspective when, when we talk about investing? Like, does it vary for you depending on where you are in the world? Or are you just kind of like, no, you can be, you can be a business in Kenya. You can be a business anywhere in the world. There's, there's an opportunity for you to invest in this technology. Well, absolutely there's that because um, the, well, in two perspectives really, um, if you see your business case, you have a community and um, you know what you want to do, then go, go right ahead. That's, that'll be your investment. You have to be patient at it. I mean, follow all the, all the first principles, fundamental principles in investing and um, building out your, your solution over time, right? But um, if you you know well within your country, then inflation is is um, significant risk. Then there's nothing stopping you from um, considering that future where you'd rather have a form of uh, blockchain tool or asset in your portfolio rather than not having it and seeing that this um, uh, this situation in terms of inflation is inevitable in its impact, right? Because Inflation will definitely be there. <laughs> I think I don't think there's any country on the earth that's uh, completely immune from that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's about you know when you do your research and your assessment, like um, whether or um, you know the last five years, the next ten years, you know what you know where the shoe fits. You know you know where the shoe pinches your you know how it fits right. You know where your coat yeah whatever your coat or your shoe. <laughs> you know yeah. your situation as exactly as it is, and um, I would just say that. Blockchain is here as a tool. You can research on it. You don't have to go into it full time. Like um, if you feel that it's just a tool that you need to add to your portfolio, hey, that's completely fine. It's not um, a do or die kind of situation. I think, okay, for some people, they may feel that, that, that that's when that's valid for them. But if that's not the case for you, then just um, appropriate it as would be fitting to your situation. Definitely. And I think that that's like, for any any asset that you're investing in, it's no different, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, well, the truth about investing, even um, if we're speaking to, um, for instance, uh, part of our listeners are stock investors, are, others are in Forex, others are in futures, are, others are in real estate, others are in agriculture, others are in um, the military or uh, medical space. 
the principles of investing, I think, cut across some of these, um, um, you know, industries or timelines and languages because you have to play the long game, no doubt. You have to be patient at it because um, whether you're looking at a stock that you expect to appreciate, you have to do your due diligence. And um, before you put in any of your resources, you have to decide whether you're um, comfortable with a certain amount of risk in terms of it uh, either working out for you or not working out for you because you can invest and lose. That's just, <laughs> that's just investment. There's no, um, I don't think there's any um, instrument that's on the planet that exists that is entirely devoid of any form of loss and it has no risk. I mean, Hey, we'd all we would all flock to that if we knew that from uh from right from childhood, and we'd just tell our parents, hey, hey, dear, dear, you know, dad, mom, please um have some money for me and this, and when I grow up, I won't even have to work. We'd all do that, but investing is as much a discipline as it will demand um our intentionality in terms of not just the resource but the quality of information and even mentors because um you there's there's an extent to which you can make decisions um as an individual but um there are people who can have the you know the wisdom or the insight to literally direct you and give you the the perspective that you could not have gained by your own means or because you don't have the time even to do that you know so with investing you just have to play the long game and have quality in mind be ready to manage your risk and do hope for the best if you gain well and good if you lose um find a way to recover right same yeah. sensible advice double s double s okay so what I want to know now is what role should education specifically play in advising and inform and or informing investors? I mean, this whole conversation, this whole series is about education generally. So if yeah. you'd like to get more specific with our with with the audience about what what kind of role should it play in? Like, where should it start? How should it begin? All right. Um, I would put it in a three um three pillar kind of approach and the first pillar is people who are you um who are you reaching out to if you don't understand your your possible target market then you're kind of shooting in the dark because it's i mean anyone can have an idea you and i can create and brainstorm and just come up with something so brilliant so amazing but the fact is that when we take it to the ground we realize oops this was um almost a utopia in our minds because um, we can have so much synergy within ourselves until no one else can relate to that, you know? And that's yeah. uh, the pillar of people. When um, this saying came about that the customer is king, customer is always right. Um, there've been arguments both for and against it, but well, at the end of the day, it's that someone, if you're expecting someone else to spend their money on your product or your service, you have to deal with them. And if you do not like people, get someone who can, handle people well because <laughs> yeah. you can i mean as an entrepreneur then you can stay on the idea side go create ideate research if that's your passion then get someone who can um you know deal with people so education in terms of who are you reaching out to how are you connecting with them how do you retain them in your business how do you um serve them in a way that they are influenced to the point that they can bring someone else i don't think that um you know reaching out to customers is just an exact science that if we have the best product they're going to come to us um if you study for instance the emerging trends in experience marketing it's that 
your design, you need to design your service or product in a way that someone will feel, oh my goodness, how did I not know about this before? Or um, I can't keep this to myself. I literally have to tell someone how good I felt because of this product or service. And now you shift to a paradigm where this person becomes your ambassador. They're not, they're no longer just your customer. They are, they're your ambassador right now, you know? And that's not, that's not an exact said, it's something that you have to be intentional about creating. So that's education in terms of people. Your staff need to know that everyone who um, either comes into your digital space or physical space um, is potentially an ambassador, but how will you treat them? Will you look at them and say, this person doesn't look like they spend much, but um, analytics, data, do you have access to, you know, their spending, the spending habits, their choice, their product choices? If you have access to that data and, you are ethically, and I insist ethically using it, then you can tell how to um, even collaborate with such a person, you know, and um, this is how you grow your brand over time, right? Because it, it just depends on people. Then the second pillar is the, um, the technology itself that there's, there needs to be a willingness to embrace or at least um, consider investing in new technologies because not for the sake that they're new, but heavily dependent on how they serve the needs of the people because it's great to have the people but if you can't serve them when then what are they staying there for because um well if they just hang around and, and they realize that they're spending and they're like oops i don't use this um anymore then they'll unsubscribe and what happens after someone unsubscribes from your service um do you are you likely to are you likely to regain them in the future or Will they come to you because they just liked how you used to give send them newsletters or these little things really that add up over time? Then the third pillar is um, just innovation. Like um, in a in a future where well, consumer preferences are um, increasingly personalized, like um, in a way that wasn't before. Then how do companies keep up with that? Do they collaborate? Do they go into a sort of monopoly mode and how agile will you be to serve or at least um, stick to your purpose, let's say five years down the line, 10 years down the line. So I'd say it's in those three pillars. And how do you involve even your staff in these decision-making processes? Because if yours is a top-down structure or approach, then, um, well, you have to decide if that will work well for you. But um, looking really into the future of how things are going then, how can you be agile enough without um, in involving the people who spend majority of their time on your product or on your service who might even understand it better than you, you know? So those are some of the questions and thoughts I would um, point out. Yeah, that was really interesting. And in terms of these three pillars, these are being implemented by, is this something strictly like within the, the corporate space within general business i'm trying to get an idea of of, of who you're thinking like who are the actors involved still um still operates within the corporate general business really because as long as you're in business then um fundamental principles you can't ignore if you're um let's say in a small scale uh, business if um let me just put it like let's say i'm selling vegetables to my neighborhood right mm -hmm. and um well, I'm, I'm well known, people keep buying from me and um, I always have the best and freshest veggies, right? Yeah. Um, innovation for me, innovation for me might be that um, I 
put in like smoothie recipes, veggie recipes here and there. And like, you know, that extra value addition, it's that simple if I may break it down that way. It's not complicated. Mm, yeah. You know, because aside from just selling you the veggies and just smiling and after you pay, then what what will make you come back as a as a as a customer? You know, because there are hundreds of vendors probably just um, in my vicinity and really a lot of anyone, almost anyone can sell uh, veggies, right? Yes. Yes. But what will make you? But what will make you come back? If I tell you, hey, I tried this recipe and like it's um, well, nice to try, and you're like, yo, this is so cool. <laughs> um, that's 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 customer customer retention right there, right? Right, right. Yes, I definitely yes. see your point. Yeah, so it's not like an absolute perfect case scenario, but um, definitely worth exploring. Very good. So here's my last question for you. What have you learned from your entrepreneurial journey that you would like to share with us? What lessons have you learned? Um, the most important, I would say, is um, feeling forward. Like, um, I struggled a lot in my uh, first months with uh, the uncertainty of, like, is blockchain really going to be that um, huge, either in my country or my region? Will my skills be appreciated? Um, you know, will I create enough value for myself or, um, you know, the, the kind of goals that I want to achieve? And that uncertainty just did not sit well with me. But um, three years down the line, almost four years down the line, I'm like, yes, I needed to be far more comfortable with that. I needed to experiment more. I needed to, um, you know, just get out way more than I, I had initially. And I would say failing forward is the best way to just get out there and figure out what will work for you. Then the other thing is being able to reach out to mentors who have definitely been ahead of the game, who have seen more, who have failed more than myself, but they're willing to, you know, at least point me in the right direction and tell me that based on my capability, my personality, then there are things I should be watchful of there. You know, it's in building um, relationships and network, it's that the few who will speak into your into your journey and into your process will add far more value than any course, for instance, that you could take because there's so much, there's only so much that I can learn uh, on my time, but someone else investing in me literally saves me years of certain decisions that I could have made on my own and probably lost that time. So just learn to fail forward, yes, and have the right uh, or the best possible mentors at your side to um, just keep you grounded, keep you accountable because um, entrepreneurship will put a demand on you, uh, on you as a person, either for personal growth or just um, really growth as, as it is, because you're not just um, every day waking up to, to build a product. You are trying to get something out there. And in trying to get that something out there, um, it will put a demand of growth. So do be patient with yourself, be gracious, be open to learning and reach out where you need to reach out. If you see burnout, just do take rest and um, re-strategize. Have that kind of balance that will um, that will have you as a person ready for the long haul rather than just a short sprint, then you quit, then you're gone for, for so long that by the time you try to get back, it's a whole readjustment process. Right, definitely. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. So Rosalind, where can we find you? In, would you mind giving us your social media, your website, everything? Where can people reach out to you if they're interested in doing so? 
um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, Rosalyn Wanjiro. So I'm happy to connect. Okay, and so you you just go by your name, right? They can just search for your name. Yep. Okay, cool. And obviously, I'll if put there's it. any change, you're gonna see it there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, and yeah. I'll I'll put it all in the um in the in the show notes so people can connect with you. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. I do appreciate you giving me some of your time, giving us some of your time. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much from the bottom okay. of my heart. Same here. Amazing, amazing. All right, guys, until next time. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us. This is an original Rare Birds HQ creation. It was produced by Rare Birds HQ and is meant for informational purposes only. If you enjoyed today's show, let me know by writing a review and do share it with your friends. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly podcast newsletters, weekly news, and of course, more podcasts. Do visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. Until next time, rare ones, bye for now.